welcome. My name's Ilsian. I am one of the co-lead pastors here, and I'm grateful to get to share God's word with you today. And the title for today is God's Invitation to You. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad you're here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my weekend. So um, glad you came. Um, but, you know, this weekend I got invited, uh, Carlos and I and Charlie got invited to attend a color party. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was celebrating a friend's 40th birthday. And so what is a color party, you may ask? For those of you that have no idea what a color party is, let me tell you. A color party is a party where the guests choose a color, any color. And then they have to dress up in that color. And then they have to show up with snacks in that color. Okay, it is. It gets. It gets fun, and then they. Um, so so once once the day of the party comes, you show up all dressed up, and you show up with your snacks. And the host asked Charlie, Carlos, and I to text when we were there because they wanted to get us on a video. So let me show you this video. It's very short. Don't worry. Oh yeah! Woo! So that was us showing up to the color party in the color purple. So we, we put together a snack basket full of takis because the wrapping is purple. And then we put in some purple corn chips because purple. And then the blackberry bubblies because they're purple. And then the dark chocolate kisses because the wrapping is purple. There you go. That's all we could think of. So that's what we did. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was the first time I ever did anything like this. It was different for me. I think that's why I enjoyed it. But you know what? To be honest with you, and nobody knows this. I'm going to confess it for the first time in my life. I don't like purple. <laughs> if you're offended, I am so sorry. We can still be friends. Um, but, you know, purple is not a color that I would have preferred, uh, but it's the color that was left, so it's the color that I chose. Um, so, um, I, I, you know, when, when this invitation came forth, I had a choice to make, and I decided I was going to accept this invitation. And I was going to participate in what it was asking of me to do. And so I want to ask you, um, how do you respond to party invitations? We all, I love that. And that's most of the extroverts, right? We're like, yes, let's party. But the introverts are like, oh man, do we really need to go to that? You know, how many people are going to be there, right? So we all respond differently, but typically um, you would accept an RSVP. You, you let them know I'm going to be showing up. Or if you're me, you forget to RSVP and you still show up because Latina all the way. Um, and usually the, the, the common practice is, you know, um, when, when, another question I have for you. So when you, after you respond or when you are the one hosting a celebration, who do you invite? usually invite your friends, your family members, your colleagues, maybe your neighbors, right? Um, well, well, not Jesus and not God. God's guest list is unexpected and it's prodigal. It really is. 
See, today we're going to look at a story where Jesus is at a house of a religious leader, a Pharisee, and a guest there hears Jesus talk about how how the banquet should be prepared or how guests, where guests should sit when they come in to be part of a banquet. So let's read in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 23. And I got to tell you that this story is also found in Matthew 22. So here we go in verse 15 of chapter 14 in Luke. It says this. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sound out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and oh, must inspect it. Please excuse me. The other said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I just want to try them out. So please excuse me. And then the other said, I just got married, so I can't come. You know. And so the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more so his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge, compel anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. So this man, after he hears Jesus talk about the banquet, he says, man, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet. And before we, we go any further, I'm curious, do you know what was Jesus' favorite subject to talk about? Do you know what was the thing that he brought up the most? Any guesses, whether you're in the room or online? What did Jesus talk about the most? Loving everyone, okay. Not basketball, money. Food. Jesus loved food. Me too. Well, as somebody said it, I heard it. It, it. it was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as it is referred to in Matthew. See, it is a phrase that is used and repeated over 70 times in the New Testament. In Matthew alone, it is over 30 times. And whenever we hear or see certain words or phrases being repeated in the Bible, it is God's way of saying, this is a very importante. It's important, right? Or, hey, pay attention to this. So the kingdom of God or heaven should be of importance to us. It is something we need to pay attention to and try to understand. So when Jesus began to preach, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? He is saying that in parable after parable or story after short story, he says, 
The kingdom of God is like, and then he'll describe different things. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like the man who had a pearl or had a field and found a pearl, right? And there's all these stories that Jesus shares about the kingdom of God being like. And see, the kingdom of God began when God himself entered human history through a man. It says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood what the message version says. And Aaron Shaw from the Bible Project writes that in Jesus' first century Jewish context, kingdom meant a tangible real world on earth, including citizens, a real king, a way of life governed by that king. But in our, in our Western perspective, it's hard for us to truly comprehend what it is like to have a ruler. A king that has dominion over your life or that decrees things. So this concept of kingdom may be a bit foreign to us. And what we know, what we know is, is democracy, right? Is a, a government of the people, for the people, and it's imperfect. Yes, we know. But going back to the kingdom of God. It says that Jesus further states, as he's heading to the crucifixion, he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. His coronation consisted of a crown of thorns. And on his throne, the cross, uh, what read was Jesus, the king of Jews. See, they wrote that to mock him, but what they didn't know is that they were fulfilling a prophecy that was spoken of Jesus long ago. See, the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, an invisible kingdom that lives and reigns in the hearts of believers. And it is the rule of Jesus Christ on earth and heaven, a kingdom that is here and not yet, a kingdom where Jesus is the king. Right? If you grew up in church, you've heard it say he is Lord of lords and king of kings. So the bottom line of this parable or this short story that Jesus is sharing of this banquet is this. In God's kingdom Everyone is invited to participate. In God's kingdom, everyone is invited to participate. So we have the invitation, right? It says that he sends out many invitations. He prepared them and sent them out. And then he sent out his servant. And see, back in the day when the invitation went out in the Middle Eastern context, the invitation would go out and Based on who responded or accepted that invitation, then the preparation of the feast would begin. And so they would prepare the feast, and because there was no refrigeration, there was no planning ahead, they had to cook that day of. And once the feast or, or the, the meal was prepared, what they would do is they would send out the servant to say, okay, go and make the announcement that the meal is ready. So then the servant would go and make the announcement. It would be like you throwing a dinner party and going through all the work, 
You already sent out the invitation, so people showed up, and they're in the living room, but they're waiting because the table is being set, and the last thing is being warmed up, and there you are, and they're in the living room, and the table is finally set, so you're like, okay, friends, come join me at the dining table, but instead, what your guests decide to do is they decide to walk out the front door. They head towards the front door instead of heading towards the dining room. That is what's happening in this story. They had accepted. They had RSVP'd. But when the time came, they chose not to participate. And they started saying excuse after excuse. And so let's look at the excuses. It says that the first one said, oh, I just bought a field and I must inspect it. See, what I, what, I, what, I, what I see, and one thing to note about the excuses, according to Kenneth Bailey, who is an author and a lecturer in Middle Eastern New Testament studies, is that the excuses they gave were offensive and a public insult to the host. None of them gave a valid excuse. Because if you were going to buy a field, it's pretty much like when you're going to buy a house, except if you do it during the pandemic, if you, that, that's a whole different game. But usually, before you buy a house, what you want to do is you want to have an inspected. You want to have an inspection. You want to know it's a big purchase. So this guy, especially in the Middle East, because it's mostly desert. It's very little land is agricultural. So you have to inspect it to make sure where does the water drain? Where does the sun hit it? Is it really going to yield the crops that I'm wanting it to yield, right? And so they had to go to, through all this trouble to inspect it. So for him to say, I just bought a field. No, you, you've already should have inspected it. So this excuse is, is pretty, pretty lame. It's pretty insulting. And then the next one says, well, I have five pairs of oxen that I got to go try out. See, that too... It's kind of silly because back in the day, you needed to know that the oxen would know how to work together because they were a yoke and they would be in pairs. And if they didn't keep the same pace, then it wouldn't work out, right? Uneven yoke. You needed to make sure that it was going to work out for the oxen. So this, too, is an excuse that doesn't make any sense or that is insulting. It is saying, I don't care to show up for your thing. I'm going to do my own thing. And so... None of these excuses are possible. And then the next, the last one, he doesn't even excuse himself. He doesn't. He doesn't say, excuse me. He says, you know what, I just got married. In other words, I'm doing what newly married people do, so I can't come. That's what he says. So <clears throat> they had accepted the invitation, but when it came time to participate in the celebration, they said, nah, not going to do it. So what have been some of the excuses that you've had when God has invited you to participate in his kingdom? God's invited you to live differently. Can you think some of your excuses? And if you can't, the Holy Spirit will help you later. Don't worry. Um, but their to-dos and their interests were more important to them than being present with the king, with the host in the celebration. And see, one of the reasons that I enjoy celebrations and, and parties and weddings is that I get to be in the presence of friends. I get to hear their stories. I get to eat with them. I get to celebrate with them. It's awesome to celebrate with someone that you love 
right? There is a joy that comes with that, that comes out of that relationship and that experience. But in this story, the, this, these men are missing out on the joy of relationship with this king. And then we go on to uh, the rest of the story and, and we see the grace that is shown. It says that when the servant returned and told the master what the guest had said, his master was furious. And see, he, he had a right to be angry because they had insulted him publicly. And he could have also said, because you chose to insult me publicly, now I'm going to declare you my enemy and not want anything to do with you. But what he did instead, he said, okay, I'm going to leave them be, and I'm going to go into the alleys, go into the streets, and invite, and there's a very specific list, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the blind, and invite the lame. And see, this short story that Jesus shares shows God's attitude towards humanity. It shows how inclusive God is and he has been. See, the 700 years before Jesus entered history, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, talks about a great banquet where the guests include people from all nations. But a community of pious Jews had reinterpreted what Isaiah had said. And because they had reinterpreted, they said, no, no, we're not going to have people that are paralyzed in their hands or their feet be part of this. We're not going to let anybody that's blind or deaf or anyone with any visible blemish, we're not going to let them attend this banquet. This banquet is going to be exclusive. It's going to be just for us. The, the Jewish people, right? And so, see, when Jesus says, go into the streets and the alleys of the city, it is radically different. Who he is saying to invite is radically different than what the people present in that room that were hearing Jesus say this. It was different than what they had lived because they thought, no, if you are suffering from some kind of physical ailment, probably means you're a sinner or your parents are sinners. So we're going to exclude you. Right? And so they had allowed this pride to take dominion over their life. What was really the way they lived what was in their heart was this pride. And it was that pride that ruled the way that they lived and how they treated people. And God is saying, that is not how my kingdom runs. My kingdom is about all people. And then we read that when the king or the master heard the excuses... He went ahead and invited those people, the ones that should have been there. Because that's what he had said earlier in the story. When you have, throw a party, you throw your friends and you throw your, but you know, you know who you should invite? 
You should invite those that can't repay you. You should invite those that society usually leaves out. People that couldn't return the invitation. People who are usually not included. People who are frequently ignored or counted out. See, the context is Jesus shares this parable in the house of Pharisees. And he had just healed someone that had shown up to the house that was sick that had some kind of swelling, infirmity, and Jesus had healed them in front of the religious leaders. And because it was Sabbath, they were very upset that Jesus had done this. And it's in the midst of this. And I love, Jesus was like, oh, that offended you? Let me uh, offend you some more by telling you who should be here or who you should invite, right? Because we know that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense to us, that goes against what we know of culture. God's kingdom is different than what we've ever known, and that's why time and time again, Jesus is sharing story after story about this is what the kingdom of God is like. He's trying to renew our mind about what we know and what we've thought He's saying, no, 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 the kingdom of God isn't just for the few and just for the ones that can follow all the rules. No, no, the kingdom of God is for those that can't go one day without messing up. That is who the kingdom of God is for. And then we read in the story that the master, the the, the servant comes back and says, there is still more room And see, the highways were populated by travelers from all over. And so the hedges provided shelter for them, and they stopped to rest and sleep along the way. And the mention of the hedges indicates the scope of the search. The king went to great lengths to find people to attend. This is representative of the Gentiles. Not one. Jesus wants to count out. And he says, um, compel them to come, urge them. Why would he need to do that? Well, imagine. I don't know if you've ever, my, my brother did this, and I, God bless him. He met a homeless couple. And he said, hey, do you want to come over to my house and shower and just eat a good meal? This was before the kids came, which I think was smart. And they went. And they stayed with him for a week. And he fed them. And he says it was really hard for them to say yes. Because this is not something that people usually do. And see, grace in the same way... When you've not known grace and grace is being offered to you, you're like, wait, me? You want me to be a part of something this fancy? I don't think I could do it. But this is what the invitation to the kingdom of God is. This is John 3.16, the whosoevers, right, of the world, us. Because in God's kingdom, everyone gets invited to participate. People who don't deserve grace receive grace. And then the very last part of the short story of the parable is the participation. And see, uh, in, in the version that is, 
explained in Matthew 22. It says this in verse 11 and 12. But when the king came to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Got to give you a little cultural context. Otherwise, that makes no sense to us. See, for the Middle Eastern cultural context, when you had a wedding, it was the host who would provide your wedding attire. So you didn't have to worry about going out and buying a dress or getting a tuxedo. No, no. It was up to the host. It would be on them to provide you the wedding garments, the clothes that you would need to celebrate. And they would use, which is really cool, they would use the, the, the garments that they would give you as a wedding decor for their wedding. So it was really important that people would wear what they were given to participate in this wedding, right? I didn't want to participate in wearing purple, but I wore purple wasn't as important as it was for here. But um, they, this guy, for some reason, he didn't, he did not choose to put on the clothes that was provided for him. And see, I, I was thinking, well, what does this mean for you? And what does this mean for me? to not participate by wearing the clothes that is provided. And see, I think that the invitation, it's not an invitation to live. The invitation to the kingdom is not an invitation to live on your own terms while benefiting of the goodness of the king. But it's an invitation to lay aside all other allegiances and submit to the kingship of Jesus. And he is the one that clothes us, the word of God says, he closes with righteousness. The righteousness, the right living and the right standing that is provided to us by Jesus. And he wants us to benefit from the kingdom. But we can't benefit from the kingdom and rule our own lives. We gotta let him be the one who is the king of our hearts and our lives. See, a lot of us, we want God to bless us financially, but we're not willing to seek first the kingdom of God, or we're not willing to submit our finances to the kingdom principles of generosity but we want it. We want the benefits. We want to tell ourselves how we want to do and what we want to do with our finances. This is how I want to spend it. But God says, seek me first in my kingdom. Give me a percentage of your income and you will see. I will open up the gates of heaven. And see, a lot of times we, we want all the benefits of the kingdom without having to lay down the way that we live and do life. God bless my relationships. But we want to continue to do relationships the way that we've seen our parents or others do relationships that are not honoring of each other. 
We haven't changed the way we think about relationships. We haven't changed the way we think about finances or whatever it is. It could be anything, sex, anything that we let rule our lives. It's because we've not changed. Our ideology of the way that we should live is different than the kingdom of God. Because remember, it is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense, and it will probably offend you. But it's saying, okay. And, and, and what Jesus says in John 3, it says that, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God to become part of God's kingdom. we got to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. But it says we got to repent, and the word repent means to turn from your way, your way of thinking, to go a new way, to think differently. That's what repent means. you got to change the way. That you've been thinking about something. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's finding a new way. What is God's way of doing this? So how do you participate right now in this room? This is how you can do it. If you're a sinner, you're invited to follow Jesus. If you're a follower, you're invited to yield to Jesus. Would you close your eyes right where you are? Father, we thank you. And Lord, I ask that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Help us search our heart. Search our heart and show us where are the places in our lives that we've not allowed you to be the king where we've not allowed you to govern our lives, where we've wanted to hold on to the way we do things. Holy Spirit, help us to repent, to change our minds. So Lord, I pray for those in the room, for those of us that are living on our own terms, but we want to be part of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would surrender, that we would ask for help, and that by our Holy Spirit, we would renew our thinking. Lord, help us. We can't do this without you. We want you to be our Lord. We want you to be the one that governs over our lives. So Lord, help us. And with everybody's eyes closed, I want to ask if you're in this room,